Hi, Filmatics. Welcome back to part two with David Bianchi. We're having so much fun. Um, so I wanted to come back to part two. David Bianchi is an actor, filmmaker, director, producer, and he is known for his work on Queen of the South, currently in Resident Alien and Peacock. And we have so much to talk about. So welcome back, everyone. David, welcome back. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> We started getting into some of your TV shows that you booked. Um, uh, can you share a little bit? Which one do you want to share with? The Queen of the South first for Netflix? I mean, hello. Everyone wants to go on Netflix, but you did it. You're on yeah, Queen, of yeah. um, yeah, look, Queen of the South. <laughs> Queen of the South was, was really a blessing. I think Queen of the South for me was pivotal because it was the first time that I had a major recurring role in a major network show. So the show is produced by USA and then it's distributed on Netflix. Um, and, you know, and I was before we before the break, I was talking about my I was talking about how, you know, I stopped drinking and, and, and doing drugs and and having having done that, it opened up so much for me. And I, I absolutely like I said before, I believe it's what made me who I am and it's what makes me who I am today. It's how I identify and how I see the world through abundance in this, this, this incredible space that I'm in inside and out. And so to queen of the south speaking of self tapes that entire show was even way before the pandemic and that entire show was cast off self tapes the only person that wasn't cast off self tape um was was would be the lead you know would be our lead who was alicia braga who played teresa mendoza even hemki madera who played pote pote like he was cast off a tape wow and so and so i say that because Benjamin Lobato, uh, one of the showrunners, I put together I put together very cinematic self tapes. I go out of my I use like three I use three different lights. You know, I shoot on a Black Magic 4K camera. Like my as a filmmaker, I use my skills as a filmmaker to translate stories from my self tapes. And I remember Ben Lobato saying, you know, David, I saw your tape, and like to me, it was a no brainer. You're just you're a thespian, like you just really embodied who that character needed to be. And you know, I ended up shooting eight episodes of that, and I lived in New Orleans in the Lowe's Hotel in the heart of NOLA, like literally about a mile walk away from Bourbon Street, maybe less than that. And it was going on like the peak of Mardi Gras. And here I am sober. <laughs> you know? Oh, temptation. <laughs> and, and, like, and I'm living through Mardi Gras and I'd never seen anything like it. Like I'd never seen a city where like, hey, every time something happened good, we're going to have a parade, baby. Everybody want to have a parade in New Orleans. And, <laughs> um, and like the, and like, this is the lowest hotel. It's like a five-star hotel. And there's like these big, like massive, like trash recycling bins in the lobby where people are dumping their beads and, you know, people party in New Orleans for a month before the week of Mardi Gras. And, <laughs> you know, it was an incredible experience to, to be a part of that world and be an experience, NOLA experience the food. But for the first time in my entire career, now look, this is 2019, Marilyn. Let's think about that. I got my SAG card, like I said, in 2004. So you're telling me it took David Bianchi 15 years <laughs> of hustling and failing and grinding and pushing to finally get eight episodes in a major network show. 15 years it took. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's... it's... So, <sighs> you know, if, if there's any artists out there 
there is no right or wrong way. And I'm, look, and, and I'm, would I? I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't feel resentment when I look at somebody who, who you know, lands a major, you know, universal picture at year two. Sure. <laughs> does, does it get my? Does it get my goat? Sure. But I also applaud those people because I can't rob them of their journey, and they can't rob me of mine. You know. And so, you know, now I'm, I'm a recurring guest starring actor. I, I, you know, I've done series regular work. You know, I've done a lot of big shows. Um, funny story about Queen of the South and Insatiable. And this is not, I don't recommend this to anybody. I ended up booking Insatiable and Queen of the South concurrently. Now, Insatiable shot in Atlanta. Queen of the South was shooting in New Orleans. Oh, my God. And my agent was like, well, David, the dates overlap. He's like, I don't think you should do it. I was like, I'm not turning down another Netflix show. No way, no way, no way. <laughs> so we ended up, so just so you know, so, so to give you guys some context, when you get booked on a show and they pay you weekly, that means if you work one day of that week, they pay you a weekly rate, right? So let's say you work Wednesday and Thursday. You get paid a weekly rate. But that means that Monday and Tuesday and Friday, you are on hold which means they're paying you to be on hold, to be on standby. God forbid somebody gets hurt, somebody gets struck by lightning, something happens, they got to change the schedule. They're going to pick up the phone and say, David, we need you on Monday, something changed. And you need to be there, right? <laughs> Otherwise, bad news bears. <laughs> so knowing that, I booked Insatiable. Both shows booked me on weekly rates. Wow. And it's overlapping. And I ended up flying back and forth from New Orleans to Atlanta, New Orleans to Atlanta. I, I had one, I had two hotels in two cities. <laughs> I shot three, I shot, I think five episodes of two TV shows in two weeks in two hotels, flying back and forth, learning lines from one show to the other at 30,000 feet to land while shooting while shooting a self-tape for agents of shield in my hotel room because whenever i travel for extended periods of time i bring my dslr i bring my high level camera and i bring a tripod and i bring a separate source mic because you never know if you have to self-tape so while i'm flying back and forth shooting queen of the south and shooting insatiable i got a self-tape audition for agents of shield i called up my boy Alejandro, who was in LA, I was like, yo, I need you to read off camera for me. So I set the camera, I turned the viewfinder towards me so I could see where I am in the frame. I throw my eye line just off the lens, because obviously you're not going to talk straight to the camera when you're performing. And I've got my buddy Alejandro on speakerphone. He's at a bar in LA. He's reading <laughs> the lines on speakerphone off camera and I'm performing to my boy in LA on speaker camera while I'm flying back and forth shooting these two shows. Lo and behold, I finished Insatiable, finished Queen of the South, and then came back to LA and booked Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Nice job. I mean, like, that is the coolest thing ever. It's like you had, like, a, a, a trifecta, like a, a, a triple home run. What do you call it in baseball? Home run, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, you call it Grand Slam. Yeah. Grand okay. Slam. <laughs> or, or, or Grand Slam would be four. A hat trick would be three. But yes. Okay. I get yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. When it rains, it pours, huh? You're like, at the same time? <laughs> it was it was incredibly intense it was incredibly intense um but you know it's that's that's the hunger right that's the hunger that's part of the work you know and i and i even for the audience out there you know as actors it's like i travel with a high level camera and a separate source mic 
and a tripod because I refuse to spend two hours of my life learning lines, creating the world, immersing myself into a performance to have it be belittled on an iPhone, right? And have the sound, you know, there's nothing worse for all you actors out there. Take this face value, your guys' call. But there's nothing worse than as a casting producer watching a self-tape and hearing the reader be louder than the actor. The scene is about the actor. And if you're recording yourself tapes on an iPhone, the person behind the iPhone is louder than you, which makes it fucking distracting, <laughs> you know? And it's, it's, it's something that actors don't think about because oftentimes they're so concerned with the performance that they're not thinking about the technical art of content. And so I, I invite all actors to um, to really think about their filmmaking skills so they could save money and not have to go to a studio and pay a studio to do it for them. You know, you can do it yourself. But if you take any of this, at least use a separate source mic or at least take a mic, plug it into your phone and put the mic under you so that your lines come out crisp and clear. Because even when you perform, Marilyn, it's like there's times where there's times where a breath is part of the performance and if you lose that breath you're losing a part of your performance because you weren't smart enough to put a mic under you wow that's incredible like no one's ever talked about that you're the first person to to really explain why self-tapes are so important the way like you think like a film you're like you're really you know your craft like like you said like self-tape is this whole technique thing that that a lot of us don't know about. And like you said, like the eye line and like the audio and the sound, like, which I'm, I, you know, I, I, that was one of the things on my, on my kids podcast, like one person listened to it. He's like a 14 time Emmy nominated animation producer. And he couldn't get past like the sound was just like free sound. Like this, it wasn't $1,400 an hour sound. So you're like, well, that's all I have. That's my budget. So, um, you know, I was hoping he could get past that and just go, can I see the script or the pitch deck? But he was just like so used to like that high end sound. So some of us don't think of that because we are, are in different budgets. Most of us are starving artists out here, which we don't well, want to be. Is, but... is that you, you know, you, you don't need a Sennheiser. I mean, you don't. I mean, you could buy a, a $80 mic on Amazon, but it needs to be pointed at you, right? Um, or if someone is operating your phone and you're recording that, if their hands move on that phone, then you hear their fingers rubbing on your audio, on your self-tape. Mm -hmm. And that's distracting. You know, it's like, why put in the work if you're not going to really put in the work? Right? Yeah. What's the point? What's the point of preparing your speech to be best man and then showing up to the wedding in a wrinkled tuxedo? Right. Why would you, why would you do that? You went through everything else to organize the wedding and learn your lines and be prepared to be best man. And you showed up in a wrinkled tuxedo and you forgot your bow tie. Why would you do that? Complete the package. Yeah, those are things that sometimes we just are so in this little, like in that mode of struggling that we just can't see past certain things that look so easy to someone else to fix. We just, you know, we get in that like little, that little thing that we get into. Sure. But, sure. but sometimes just fixing that one thing changes your whole thing. So everyone, I hope you're listening. All you writer, director, actors, producers, I hope you're listening. These are some key, key things that David just shared with us to just change your life with something so simple, like getting that mic. 
yeah, I, uh, you know, like I just, I, you know, I shot true story with, um, um, with Kevin Hart, Wesley Snipes last year. And in that tape, um, it's a hostage sequence and I'm held hostage and I end up getting killed. Um, but in that self tape, I put a light directly above me, old school hostage interrogation style. I put, <laughs> I put, I put oil all over my arms and I sprayed myself with water. I put blood in my mouth and I, I, I slightly put a little bit of black powder beneath my eyes to pocket them. And I was beat the fuck up. I had my hands behind my back and the tape looked terrifying. It looked terrifying, but it booked me the job because it's about telling the story. See, what's our job as actors? Our job as actors is to translate text into a moving, palpable piece of art that the audience can feel something from. In Greek, in the Greek theater, they called it a catharsis. It's my job to bring that text to life within the tone and the context of whatever it is I'm auditioning for. If you're auditioning for General Hospital or Days of Our Lives, that's a different style of acting. And that's a lot of melodrama, but melodrama is a style. If you're going to true story, it's a different style of acting. If you're auditioning for succession, it's a different style of acting. That that really, you know, grounded procedural delivery. They have all different styles and modalities. And you have to understand what you're auditioning for. But at the end of the day, your job is to tell that story and to bring it to life. Bring it to life. So that those producers are going to look at that tape and be like, this, this guy's a beast. And he, <laughs> and, and he cares about his craft. That's the thing. If you care this much about a self-tape, you better believe you're gonna, you can convince the producers and the showrunners that you will care about their show when they spend thousands of dollars to invite you onto it. Another thing, too, a lot of actors, man, and I was one of those actors, too, you know, really into ourselves. And, you know, don't you know this is all about me? And, like, oh, they booked me. It's my job. Well, no. They're paying you thousands of dollars, paying you handsomely to show up and tell a story. So the sooner you get into telling stories as an actor and filmmakers, the more successful you can become because that's our job. Our job is to tell stories and to fulfill pieces of stories to help an entire ensemble tell a story as a whole. I love that. And that's true too. When I started telling stories, like literally started telling stories on my kids' podcast and changing book readings, I hit number one weekly in countries. And so you, you just nailed it on the head as soon as you start telling stories. And we all have our voice. And so some of us take a long time to find, like, I guess you said, like, uh, your friend Rodriguez said you have 10 bad ones before you start hitting your gold mine and stuff. So yeah, I guess it takes a while before you find your voice of your storytelling ability. <laughs> Yeah, you got to find it. You got to find it. And, and, you know, for all the filmmakers out there, too. I mean, look, I've produced now six feature films. Um, I've had my films that I've produced, feature films that I've been produced have been licensed by HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime. I've produced commercials that have been broadcast on CNN, MSNBC, and so on and so forth. And even from an independent filmmaking perspective, it is all about storytelling. And we often forget, you know, especially in the independent scene, we want to quote unquote, do it our way. We're making films for an audience, right? And that's, we always have to remember that, that we are creating a product to be consumed on a mass level. 
And so storytelling is really, really important. And you just mentioned something about Robert Rodriguez. And, you know, he's basically saying that it takes a lot of falling forward until you figure out your craft. You have to forge your knives. You have to sharpen the steel, right? I mean, even LeBron James, even though he is physically predisposed to be one of the greatest basketball players to ever live, he still had to put in the 10,000 hours of training to learn how to handle the ball, to learn how to post up, to learn how to pass without looking in the direction of the ball pass. Like he had to learn and build and sharpen the steel to become the best player in the world, arguably. I'm not getting into that debate, but the same thing applies, right? So I was predisposed with the skills to be a great actor, but I had to sharpen those skills. Predisposed with the ability to sort of delegate and 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 and, and be an entrepreneur and be a leader on set, but I had to learn how to operate a set. I had to learn to write for what I have. I had to learn that having your light properly exposed, having your sound properly modulated and recorded, having your frames beautifully uh, structured, having performances that are visceral, having a screenplay that tells a story that is significant. These are all things that you have to get right. Just getting those things technically sound is like sea level as a filmmaker. You know, it's like, if you tell me, if you tell me that you own a pizza shop, my guess is that you know how to make a pizza, right? <laughs> and then, and then, and then, what what gets you the pizza prizes is where do you take the basics of making pizza to the next level, right? So if you tell me you're a filmmaker, my my suspicion is that you at least understand how to make something technically sound, right? <laughs> something that sounds good and looks good and and feels good. Um, and then above and beyond that, how do we make exceptional films? That's what separates the, 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 the populace from the Excelsior filmmakers, the, you know, the David Finches, the Quentin Tarantinos, the, you know, the, the, the Tony Scott's, God rest his soul, Ridley Scott, so on and so forth. Yeah. Like, well, is, do you have a favorite director out of all of them? You, uh, like, is it one in particular that you inspired you to start directing? Uh, you know, it, it really, look, I, I am a huge, 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 um, Quentin Tarantino fan. Um, I, I'm just blown away, not just by his journey, but by his story, you know, um, he's just an absolute genius. I've had the opportunity to have a couple of conversations with him over the years, brief ones at that. And, you know, he really is such an icon. Um, Alfonso Cuaron, um, is absolutely, um, a filmmaker who is in one of the highest regards. I mean, Children of Men is probably one of the greatest films ever made. Um, I think about Tony Scott. I'm a huge Tony Scott fan. God rest his heart. Ridley Scott is definitely up there. Um, David Fincher um, is absolutely up there. Um, you know, there's there's definitely uh, the list can go on and on in many ways. Um, um, Iñárritu is, I mean, guy's a legend. I mean, some of the greatest films. You know, I, I still remember uh, walking out of The Revenant and, you know, looking at my, my buddy Q, who I went and saw that with, who's a talented director as well, and just like looking at him and saying, what the fuck did we just watch? <laughs> you know, um, that's, I, I look at these Maverick filmmakers and, and you know, I, I just sit down in awe and I just, I, I watch them move and you see how they tell stories. Like, you know, Children of Men, for example, probably has arguably one of the most impressive Steadicam sequences ever achieved in Hollywood history. 
and it can be watched. If you're a cinephile, you can watch it 50 times over and over again, and every single time see something new. And you just wonder how the hell did Cuaron and Emmanuel Lubitsky pull that off? Yeah. How did they pull that off with all that choreography, with all those set pieces, those huge set pieces, everything that could go wrong, you know? And it's just, you watch that, and then and that's that's really the stuff that, that we aspire to, you know? Yeah. To greatness. We aspire to greatness. Yeah, just, uh, just director is, is such a skill, you know, that was like something that I was very interested in. And then like, but when you're doing an indie, indie budget, a zero budget, you're like, oh my God, you know, I remember when I did my first track shot, it was up in Beachwood Canyon. I had like tracks and I thought, oh, you know, I thought it was like, Ooh, I thought I like it. I died and gone to heaven. It was like, oh, we have a tracking shot. <laughs> oh, sure. I remember my first tracking shots were you know, either on a skateboard or, you know, camera <laughs> hanging out the window of a car. Um, you know, it's like, but look, you know, Marilyn, I, I think I, I want to remind all the filmmakers out there that if you look at some of the greatest independent films of our time, right, let's look at like Reservoir Dogs, let's look at Pulp Fiction, let's look at, um, even you could argue Boogie Nights is an indie film. Um, let's look at, you know, Boys in the Hood. Um, all these films. Go ahead, pick one. Clerks. Napoleon Dynamite. Was that? Like Clerks too, right? Just very simple location. I mean, even if you want to look at like Darren Aronofsky's early work with Pi, a very abstract and very like, you know, cryptic film. <laughs> um, you know, even if you look at all these films that we just listed, there's one consistency with all of them. And, and that is that all these films are fundamentally people in rooms talking. Yeah, that's what they are. That's, that's what they are. There are people in rooms talking. The tricky part is how do you make people in rooms talking compelling? How do you do that? That's that's where the sauce is, right? It starts with the page. If it's not on the page, it's not on the stage. It doesn't matter how good the actor is. So you have to start with the story. But then the next step is, do you have a director? that knows how to assemble a story visually that is cohesive, consistent, compelling, exquisite, beautiful, sad, angry, enthralling, compelling, all those adjectives that are required to make an exceptional piece of motion picture. But at the end of the day, these are human stories. That's what connects us. I, 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 it's so beautifully said. Like. Yeah, and um, I, I want to ask you some fun stuff now since we got a little bit deep here. Okay. Um, okay, everyone's going. Oh my gosh, can you can you share a little bit about Tyler Perry and Westworld a little bit, just a little bit? <laughs> um, I will say this. So, so I had the I had the opportunity to work with Tyler Perry during the pandemic. So I was one of the few actors that was flown out um, on a private jet and was in the bubble um, at Tyler Perry Studios, and uh, you know people say what they want about his content but he is literally uh singular in terms of the things that he's been able to accomplish as a as a director as a filmmaker and as a studio head um he owns his intellectual property but i'll boil it down to this one i went on that set and his set is his studio is built on a former confederate army base so i slept in a brownstone that was built by slaves and as a man of color and someone who works very hard in social consciousness it really weighed heavily on me 
that I sat on the bed in the master bedroom and I could still see the charred tile that was the original tile from when it was built way before the Emancipation Proclamation. And it occurred to me that I was sitting in the seat of the Massa and how many of my ancestors were probably whipped and lashed or burned at the foot of that fireplace, feeding wood into that hole. It, even now it weighs on me heavily. Wow. And I, re and I remember meeting Tyler on day one, really energetic guy, uh, knowing enough about him that he had a, a really intense work ethic. But I remember day one of us going to set. So they picked us up in this uh, open air trolley. He rented some trolleys from New Orleans so that they would be open air. Oh, nice. and, and off in the distance behind us was Tyler Perry zipped up in a windbreaker suit, like full on over his head, zipped up tight, taut around his face. And he was running, exercising. And I looked and I was like, wow. This guy literally owns the largest studio compound in North America. He's a mogul and he's making time to make sure he exercises, even with everything he's got going on. This guy was shooting 110 pages a day. You get one shot, you get one take on a Tyler Perry set. There's no second takes, there's no markups, there's no lineups, there's no camera rehearsal, there's none of that. You get one shot, period. That was. That blew me away. This is where it gets interesting. The next day, it is downpour torrential Atlanta southern rain. I get into the trolley, come running out because I don't want to get soaked. And who's running in the downpour torrential rain, wrapped up, zipped up, over his head in a windbreaker, in the downpour rain running? Mr. Tyler Perry. Wow. That is what makes Mr. Perry, Mr. Perry, because it's, he's not going to let inconvenience get in the way of his purpose. He knows I need to be healthy and fit because if I can't make it to work. I have thousands of people that rely on me for their livelihood. True. And he knows he needs to be fit and he will not take any excuses. Rain, I'm running. Sun, I'm running. Snow, I'm running. Like <laughs> that. That is that's the stuff that Tyler Perry's made out of. That's beautiful. Thanks for sharing. I mean, thank you for sharing that. And um some you had beauty in there with with you know that the sadness that like uh you know it's just there's there's stuff but but like you said, let's embrace some good things. There's like yes. we're in the now and we can embrace like things that you're doing. Now it's your chance to shine and your chance to tell beautiful stories. And right now there's a chance for all these voices. And I think that's beautiful. Um and so yes, thank you for that. And uh want to ask you real quickly, what about Westworld? Because it's such a unique kind of thing. Did you have fun in Westworld? Did you, did they make you do naked stuff or anything? <laughs> I, 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 I had to ask, you knew I was going to ask. No, it's funny. It's, 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 I think it was like, it was last week, last week's episode or the episode before that on Resident Alien. I'm like butt naked in the middle of the woods. Um, got my ass out and all that. Um, you know, Westworld was great. So I, I auditioned for Westworld um, twice and I knew I nailed it. Right. But, you know, just like the truth is, you just don't get the call sometimes. And actors, it's got nothing to do with your performance. 
sometimes you're just not the right person for the job. My job is not to book the job. My job is to book the room. That's it. I book the room and then I leave. That's my job, right? Anything outside of the room is out of my control. And if I focus on that, I'm giving too much energy to things I can't control, which means I'm, I'm taking energy away from the things I can control, which is my work ethic, which is me showing up for myself, etc. I, I went twice, booked the room. I knew I did. Didn't get the call. Two weeks after the second audition, I get a phone call. Uh, my team's like, hey, David, they want to bring you on, um, but they don't want you to do what you audition for. They have something new for you. I was like, okay, great. Fuck Westworld. Let's go. You know, <laughs> season, you know season two. And you know, I'm shaking like a leaf. I was just out of a breakup. I think I was like 50, 60 days sober. You know, my body was still yearning for booze and, and Coke and everything else I was shoving in my body. And um, I remember sitting there and uh, I got to the wardrobe and, and uh, they said, do you know what you're doing? I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. I just know that I'm in the show. And the wardrobe person said, oh, really? Oh, well, well, you're in, you're doing a scene with these two actors. And I was like, who? uh anthony hopkins and jeffrey wright <laughs> what oh my gosh you know and and um and i and, and i ended up um having the, the 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 pleasure and the opportunity to have conversations with um sir hopkins and he says you know he says just call me tony uh well yeah well i'm, I'm just wanted to thank you for all the years and the incredible inspiration and everything you are and what you stand for now Oh, don't worry about that. We're going to have a great scene. It's going to be lovely. It's just absolutely wonderful. And he's just really kind and very generous. And uh, now remember, right after our page rehearsal, basically a close rehearsal, close rehearsal walkthrough with, with Anthony Hot, with Tony and... and um, wait, wait, on that note, let's invite everyone back to part three because we're going to do a part three with David Bianchi because he's with Anthony Hopkins on Westworld after Tyler Perry. So come back for part three. <laughs>